Well, good morning, Cornerstone. We're so excited you're here with us. Would you stand with us as we worship together?
search the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures of faith I never enough And then you came along And put me back together Nothing is better than 
of this next song are straight from Scripture. And we talk about Ezekiel watching the bones come to life, but we get to read John and his vision of what Revelation and how it unpacks. And in Revelation 4, the second half of verse 8, are the words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, that may, they may be sung now in heaven, but we know we're going to sing them together before our Lord. And... Um, what a, what a rich moment to realize, and I want you to think about that. Many of the words in this next song are straight out of Scripture and Revelation, and it's a time when we get to stand before the throne uh, with all the angels, the, the creatures, the elders. I mean, we are all there together enjoying the presence of the Lord, and we get to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come.
Good morning. Good morning, Cornerstone. Welcome to Cornerstone and happy Sunday. If you would take a seat, you're going to get started. My name is Jessica, if you don't know me. And if you don't know me, I will be back after church. And please come introduce yourself to me. Um, I just started as the children's ministry director here at the church. I'm really excited. Thank you. Uh, and thank you to this worship team for providing amazing worship for us this morning. Thank you. Um, if you are visiting today, welcome to Lake Tahoe. Thank you for sharing your morning with us. Um, as I was preparing to give announcements today, Jesus put a prayer on my heart. So if you would bow your heads and just open with me in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for all of these people in this room. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together to proclaim your goodness and unfailing love. We want to shout it from the mountaintops. Lord, we pray for healing and revival. Lord, you of all know the pain and suffering that each of us are going through. As we are recovering from a very unusual year and moving into something new, we pray that we can open our hearts to receive your grace when you come to meet us exactly where we are. Whether we feel like we are on a mountaintop or we've been lost in a deep valley, Jesus, we know that true healing and revival comes when we surrender ourselves to you and your perfect plan. God, we trust you. Lord, we pray for healing and revival in the church. We can feel a stirring of faith in our community. Equip us, Jesus. Use us. It is my prayer that there would be a stirring of hearts that each of us would be prompted to look deep within. Who did God make me to be? What is my purpose in Christ? How can I stand up and be a part of this revival? Jesus, you made each of us with a special purpose in mind. You can count all the hairs on our heads. Jesus, thank you for your perfect plan, your creation, and your unwavering love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so announcements, very important. Next week, we are moving back to one service. Yay. So this service will be at 10 a.m. We will move forward with that. Um, and it's just a chance to get our church body back together again and united. We are excited. And with that move to one service, I am launching the summer series of Children's Church. So we are going to be going through a five-week series with our children on God's promises. So we are going to be diving deep into God's promises. We are going to transport into a paradise land down below. Um, so we're really excited. And what you should know if you have children attending is it's going to look a little bit different for the next five weeks. We are going to check the children in right into Sunday church as we 
arrive, and the children will participate in a kid-centered worship downstairs with us, and we're going to be going through a whole series together, and the children will also be checked out at the end. So that's the most important thing to know. Next week, we will have greeters out telling families where to go and where they should be. Uh, moving on, I'm going to re remind you of the I Am They concert. This is super exciting. They are coming here July 17th. This is a professional music band, and they are going to come bring the house down and bring us Jesus. So I hope that you can come. And here is a little video clip to see what we can be excited for. <laughs> At least they look good. <laughs> oh, here we go. That's okay. We, we, <laughs> awesome. So just think of that five times louder, so much energy, packed house. I'm excited. So you can buy your ticket online um, at, on our Cornerstone website. The tickets are $20 for adults, $15 for students. Um, and so we are very excited to see you guys there. Uh, next up, we have our teen girls Bible study. So tonight there is a planning meeting for the teen girls study, it's for teen girls and their parents. It's going to be at Preston Field Park. And this is a planning meeting. You're going to plan on what study we're going to dive into. And you can plan to see what dates and times work best for everybody. So this is an important meeting if you're interested to come. Elena will be there as well. Um, so this is a great way to bring your teens together to have fellowship as we move um, into the summer. And we have our soccer camp. I wanted to remind you, we have our soccer camp coming July 19th through the 23rd. A professional soccer coach and camp will come, and they are going to provide soccer skills and ministry to the children of this church and the community. So the biggest needs that we need right now is that we are ha starting a scholarship fund. We're hoping to sponsor at least 10 children uh, to go to this camp. So if you are looking for a way to serve in children's ministry, but you want your hands out of the dirt with the children in the classroom, this is a great opportunity um, to help with the camp. Um, the other big need that we need is the coaches that are coming in, they do not live here. They are international coaches. They are Christians, and we need to house them and host them while they stay here for this for the soccer camp week. So this is another opportunity, if you would like to open your home to a young Christian. Um, it can be beneficial for that young Christian as they're growing. You can help mentor them or be uh, the next step in their faith, and they can provide you with a younger perspective and it's just a fruitful 
um, experience for everybody. So if you are interested in any of these things, please come talk to me or you can email me at jessica at cornerstonecommunity.net. And finally, we do not pass a tithe basket here, but we do collect offerings. There's two offering boxes in the back and you can also give online on our website. And that is all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Driving up today, going by the lake, it was like glass. And seeing people out there on their kayaks. What a great day this is going to be if you're headed down to the beach afterwards. Well, I'm excited because finally we're in Romans chapter 12. I've been waiting to get there for months. And, and not that, you know, Romans 1 through 11 is an incredible section of Scripture as it, as it presents to us the truths of the gospel. But as we're going to see in a minute, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 opens up with, therefore. And so now we're going to, we're going to look at the ramifications of this glorious gospel and how do we respond to it. So let's just start with some prayer and then we'll jump into Romans chapter 12. So open your Bibles up if you would. But Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. That's already gone on and I hope, you, I hope Lord, that you have been honored. And that as we've lifted our hearts in song to you, that... Um, you were pleased, Father. That's our prayer this morning. And Lord, now guide us in your word. Teach us, convict us, encourage us, whatever we need, Lord. Show us what you have designed for us as a response to the gospel that we've been learning about. Thank you, Father. We ask all of this for Christ's sake, in his name. Amen. So, we're going to look at Romans. All we're going to do is 12, 1 and 2. Two verses. And that sets us up for the entire rest of the book. So this is a time where, you know, therefore, let's, let me read to you the first verse. And this, the first section is present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's verse 1. And verses 1 and 2, I have put in, in my own translation. So I, I don't want to sound arrogant. But as I looked at all the different translations, about four major translations, I saw something, I like that, I like that, I like that. And so I brought them together in a way that communicates what I think is the best way to communicate these verses. So usually I use the ESV. Everything else we're using today will be the ESV. But let's look at verse 1 of Romans 12. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable response of worship. I just want to walk through that verse and just pick it apart. So he says, therefore. Now, there's this old cliche in, in Bible studies. When you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. <laughs> hey, you got it. Now, I see some groaning in the back, too, now, by my humor. But, but it, it's a major reference. It's a major inference. All of a sudden, all this truth from Romans 1 through 11 of the gospel What's the implications of that? If this is all true, therefore, how now do we live? And that's where Paul's going. And he's going to take us with these two verses, give us two principles. One, present our bodies, bodies as living sacrifice. Two, renew our minds. And then he'll go in from chapter 12, verse 3, to the end of 15, even into 16, with all the ramifications of what it means to present our bodies as living sacrifices and what it means to renew our mind and not be conformed to this world. So this is important because Romans 1 through 11 was a lot of theology. A lot of theology. And often people will say, well, theology is not useful. And what I want to say to you is this, that 
that all of life is theology. Theology is, is how do we take the truths that God has revealed, stand upon them as a foundation, and then live our life in light of them. So everything you do all day long reflects some level of what you believe. And what you believe is your theology. So theology is incredibly important. You know, the word itself implies theology doctrine, implies something cold and boring, as opposed to, as opposed to the teachings of Scripture about who God is and who I am and what he calls us to do and be. So, therefore, the next phrase, by the mercies of God. And it's plural, mercies. This actually goes, takes us back to chapter 11, verse 32, where Paul says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, Jews and Gentiles, everyone. He has shown them their disobedience. Why? That he have, may, may have mercy on everyone. God's passion and love for you is to be merciful. So Paul says, now based upon these mercies, and, and these mercies would be covering all of the chapters 1 through 11, all the gracious things God has done for us. Based upon these mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. Now, the concept of the bodies in the book of Romans, I want you to pay attention for a moment, if, if you're not. I'm not accusing you. I always got to be careful when I say that, you know. Um, Romans teaches us that prior to believing in Jesus, we were dead. We were dead in Adam. We had no life before God. Sin ruled us. But then Christ came and took our place and died for us. And somehow, we get to Romans chapter 6, somehow it says that, that symbolized through baptism, when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was raised from the dead, I was raised from the dead in order to walk in a new life. But as Romans 6 goes on, we'll look at it in a minute, that there's something in me that's alive. I was dead in Adam, and I'm alive in Christ. There's something in me that is different than before I knew Jesus. So there's something that's brand new, born again, the Bible calls it. Second Corinthians says, I'm a new creation. But there's also something about me that is still dead and needs to be redeemed, and that's my body. My body is dying, and so is yours. And at the resurrection, it will be made alive. Then my salvation will be complete. So you understand so far from Romans, we know that there's something about me that's alive, whether we call it our soul, our spirit, whatever it is. I am alive to God now. I have a relationship with him. But I, Tony Slavin, live in this dead body of mine, this body that is not made alive yet, that is still decaying and going to the grave and has certain passions that are contrary to the will of God. So he says here, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the idea of a living sacrifice, what, what happened in the Old Testament? They would take a body, body of what? An animal of some kind, whether it was, uh, whether it was two turtle doves like Jesus' parents did at his, at his um, dedication, whether it's a bull or a lamb or a goat, whatever it was, and then they would kill the animal and drain the blood out. So what Paul is saying here is that system is done. That system of worship is done. Now you're, we're going to see here as I translated, your reasonable act of worship is to present your body as a living sacrifice. Not that you kill your body and offer it to God, but you take your body and you present it to God and say, God, 
I'm going to use this body as an instrument for your glory and honor, as a living sacrifice. Let's go back to chapter 6, and then we'll jump back to chapter 12 and finish that verse up. But go back to chapter 6, and look, I'm going to start in verse 11. I'm not sure if I have a, a slide for verse 11. I think I started the slide at verse 12. But let's look at 11 and walk through 14. As Paul, in chapter 12, Paul is simply reiterating what he taught us back in the 6. So he tells you this, you Christian, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what you are. Sin's not your master anymore. You're dead to sin. There's a problem, though. Sin still reigns in your body. You've got, to, you've got to control that. So how do you do that? Verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought forth brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So talk about your members. So your physical body and all the parts, it's part of who I am. It's part of my core identity. It truly is. Jesus saved us, came to save us, not just our soul to give us eternal life in a disembodied eternity. He came to give us brand new bodies entirely, Entire new beings, including our body. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. We will be alive physically, walking with God in eternity. You get me on this? Right now, though, that's only half done. We're not complete yet in our salvation. So as I walk the walk and try and I walk the walk that I'm claiming to talk, if that even makes any sense, I now have to control this body and present it to Him as an offering, as an act of worship. So I want you to think about your daily life and how much your physical body trips you up. Some of the cravings you have. Some of the passions we have. Some of these things are actually gifts from God that we distort. We, you, know, you know, sexuality, for instance, we'll talk about more in a moment. But the idea of sexuality, this physical body, God designed me as a sexual being for the purposes of honoring my wife and having children. But what did we turn it into? Pure selfishness. So what happens in this fallen body when all of a sudden those thoughts and desires come up? What do I do with that? Well, I can choose to present my body to those desires and go down this road of a selfish, sinful, sexual life. Or I can say, God, now you've created me for something different. And take those thoughts in this body, and I know this is a little more than you want to hear today, but go present myself to my wife. And say, we need to honor God with our bodies and in our love for one another. So that you can pick any category in life and how your body's involved, and you have a choice. Present it to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness, or present it to God as an instrument of righteousness. And by the way, that word instrument can be translated weapon. A weapon used for righteousness. In God's hands, our physical bodies submitting to him to be used for his purposes. Romans 12 is going to get that next week. We're going to see that very clearly next week. So, we could, we did, I did a whole sermon in Romans 6. Go back and check that sometime in eternity past. We did that. I don't remember what it was. Then he says, this is your reasonable response of worship. That This phrase here, the ESV calls it your spiritual worship. This idea of presenting my body is your spiritual worship. The New English translation, it calls your reasonable service. The NIV calls it your true and proper worship. So all these different translations, that's what made me say, you know what, I'm going I'm to figure out what, what I think it, it means 
and, and we'll find the translation that best communicates what I think it means. Because the word here that is translated as spiritual or reasonable is, is the Greek word logikon. And we get our word logical from it. And, and I don't know where they get the translation spiritual from this word. Because often in English today, this isn't biblical. This, this is modern, modern English usage of words. When, when you think of the word spiritual, often it's pitted against being logical. You think of spiritual, it's the contrary of rational. And so, so the word spiritual here doesn't communicate what's behind the word in Greek. That what has God done for you? Let's, if, we, if we were to rehearse the entirety of Romans 1 through 11, we'd see all the things that God has done for us. And, and at the heart of that, sending his son to take our sins on the cross and to die for us, to give us life. So what Paul is saying here, you present in your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your rational, this is your reasonable act of service. This is your reasonable response of worship. It should flow right from you that what God has done for me to save me, my response needs to be to use this body to honor him. It's a reasonable response. Now we have this word worship and service. And again, when you think of service and worship, do you think of two different things? They're not words that really relate to the same thing to me, but biblically they are. This is a word that comes from the Old Testament that is, is focused on the sacrificial system. And all through the Old Testament, God says this to his people. Do not serve other gods, but serve only me. And by saying that, he's saying, do not worship other gods. Do not make sacrifices to other gods. Only make sacrifices and worship me. And so the concept in the Old Testament of serving God and worshiping God are identical. And the word that is used here is translated two different ways. I've chosen the word worship that, that this, because that, we sometimes reduce worship to what we just did for the first 20 minutes. Singing. And that is a beautiful form of worship. But I would suggest to you, just like theology reflects all of life, worship reflects every breath you take. Let me say it differently. Every breath you take can be and should be an act of worship. Serving God is the idea of taking this body, using it for the purposes of his glory, whether that is some major incredible thing that the whole world says, wow, isn't he wonderful, or something no one ever sees. They're all acts of worship to our God. All that in verse 1. Now notice what it says there in verse 12. This living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. The idea of holy, the Old Testament sacrificial system, you couldn't take the goat or the sheep that, you know, it was old and had all these scars and scabs, and I don't want it anymore. I'll just offer it to God. He says, no, you bring me that perfect specimen, that unblemished lamb, the one that's important to you, you offer to me. So now he's translating that to our bodies. We live a body that, you know, we, we take this body, we live a holy life, and we offer it to God. But then it says pleasing to God. So in your notes, I put a thing, this excursion. Do I need to worry about pleasing God? This is important to me because I've heard so many people say, it doesn't matter how you live, by definition, you are pleasing to God. 
And because he was so pleased with you in your sin, he, he sent his son to die for you. I don't want to deny any of that. But I want you now to think of a parent-child relationship. He is our Heavenly Father. We are his children. If you're a parent, if you're a parent here today, do you take delight and pleasure in your children just because they're your children? Help me out. Yes. Okay. Are your children always living a life pleasing to you? Okay, same thing with us and God. Same thing with us and God. Of course God is pleased to have you as his child. He sought you out. He pursued you. You didn't pursue him. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He came for you because he's pleased to pursue you and save you and make you his child. Now he says, now I've also changed who you are. I've given you a new heart. I've put my Holy Spirit within you. Now live that life that I've made you to be. And so the idea of pursuing what is pleasing to God is at the heart of Christianity. And it's not works righteousness. It's not, it's not out of a basis, oh, I hope I can please God so he doesn't slap me around. It's, this isn't a dysfunctional dad that you live your life to please, but you never can. This is a God who delights in you. And your response is, I want to put a smile on my dad's face. I want to do what he's created me to do. So listen to, to these, now look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Paul says this, whether we are at home or away, meaning whether we are alive in this body or dead and with him, we make it our aim to please him. If we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. So the life we live in this body before it's redeemed at the resurrection, we, we want to live a life that pleases God, and we aim to please him. Again, this is not trying to please someone who's not in love with you. This is trying to please someone who adores you. Let, let me just read a bunch of verses to talk about pleasing God. Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Here Paul prays for the Colossians that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Definition of pleasing here is bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of who your dad is. Colossians 3, 20. Children, obey, here, children, if you're in the room, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Our children will be here next service. I'll be having fun doing that one. Last one. There's a bunch more. Last one. And whatever we ask of the Lord, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. I want to suggest to you that this is all through the New Testament. Living a life that pleases God. But please hear me. It's not about gaining his favor. It's about living a life in response to his favor. It's a big difference. We're never going to lose the favor of God. Just like my kids will never lose my love for them. You know, my kids range from 25 to 40, and there's some days that I would have liked to take them out of the world. The, you know, the, uh, the old cliche that I brought you into the world, I can take you out. Which is not true. You go to prison for those kind of things. But, um, but 
And the only reason there was so much emotion involved is because how much I loved them. So, that's verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a response to the gospel. The second response is in verse 2. And as we are to renew our minds to God's way of thinking. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. And if you'll notice up there, I put in the parentheses literally age. Do not be conformed to this age. I'll come back to that in a moment. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what, the, what is the will of God. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Their idea of a, a, a pleasing will of God. But, so let's again walk through this. So do not be conformed to this world, i.e. age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The idea of being conformed to the world. So you came out of the world. Whether you came, um, became a Christian as a child, and maybe you didn't have fully understand the influence of the world on your thinking, or like me, I became a Christian when I was 20 years old, fully, fully enveloped in the world system that God pulled me out of. I mean, I mean there was a 180 done in my life. And now I have this, this, all these belief systems that I adopted, adopted, adapted, however you, you say it, that now I have to spend a lifetime renewing my mind because I was in the mold of the world, and now I have to be conformed to something else. And so this is an active process that takes the rest of our life to do. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Transform into Christ-likeness is the point here. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so I want to talk about this concept because do not be conformed to this world, this age. That word age there is a word that refers, it's used in the scripture to refer to eternal life. Idea of the, it's the word ion, the ages. But in some contexts, it's used to refer to the evil one, to Satan himself. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, listen to this. And Paul's talking about the gospel here. And even if our gospel is veiled, that's when he preaches the gospel to certain people, they just don't get it. And have you ever been there? Have you met people that you tell them about Jesus, and it's like, it's like talking over their heads. It's totally irrelevant to them. Well, this is what Paul's addressing here. It is veiled to those who are perishing, the gospel. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, Satan is the God of this world. Same word. Do not be conformed to this world. Satan is the God of this world. Some of your translations do not be conformed to this age. Satan is the God of this age. There's this whole worldview system. That's what we're talking about here, worldview system that Satan has brought about in our world. And it has multiple variations and forms wherever you travel the world that it's contrary to who God is. Completely contrary. You've been delivered from that. Satan is no longer your master, Ephesians chapter 2. But you've been made alive and transferred to the kingdom of light. Now renew your minds to the truth and the principles of this new kingdom that you belong to. So I want you to think about worldviews for a moment. A worldview is a system of belief that answers the questions of life. So we talk about Christianity is a worldview. 
We can talk about atheism is the worldview. Those are obviously two opposites. Typically, whatever questions you ask, they have opposite answers. You know, all the isms of the world, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, all those things are certain worldviews, how they answer the questions of life. And let me give you the basic worldview questions. I haven't got time to unpack these, but, but I, I want to I give them to you because I want to reference a few of them. But the, the basic worldview questions are this. Who is God? Or, or if you're a philosopher, what is ultimate reality? But that would be the first worldview question. Who is God or what is ultimate reality? Then in light of that, who am I? What does it mean to be human? The next one is, what, what's wrong in the world? There's always something wrong in this world. What is that wrong and what's its causes? The next one is, what is the solution to that? So as Christians, we say we have a great God. He's a personal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I am is made in his image, designed to reflect his glory in the world, but yet I chose something different. The problem is sin. And all the ramifications of that sin has brought devastation to our world, and Satan's right in the middle of it. And what's the solution to our sin? The cross. That's right. And, and, and you, can, you can take these and just expand them out. The next one is what is right and wrong? Where do I find out ethics and the foundation for it? After that is what is my purpose in this world? Do I have a purpose when I wake up each day? Is there meaning? If I'm an atheist and there is no God, there's not much meaning unless I make it myself. Okay, now the last one is what does the future hold? So those seven worldview questions, who is God, who am I, what's the problem in the world, what's the solution, what is right and wrong, what is my purpose, and what does the future hold, every worldview must answer those questions, and they do. And you have answers to every one of them. You may not be fully certain of them all, and it may be subconscious your answers to them. What Paul is telling us here is to raise it to a conscious level and renew your mind. What is it I actually believe about God? Is what I believe about God, which is the most important question, is what I believe about him biblical and true, or do I have the lies about who I believe about God? A minute ago, I talked about one potential lie. God's not pleased with you, so you better earn it. That's a lie. A lot of Christians feel that way. I don't deserve his love. That's the beauty of it. You don't deserve it, and he's lavished it upon you. And guess what? It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. What if God's love was dependent upon your behavior? Yeah, let's give up today. So, so th those are the things. What do we believe about God? And, and Satan wants us to believe certain things. Satan would love for us to doubt God's love. Satan would love for us to doubt God's power. Because if God really isn't powerful enough, he's not very useful to you each day as you fight the good fight. You follow me what I'm doing here? We need to evaluate all of our beliefs and ask the question, what is truth? And don't be fooled. You see, your beliefs are the primary determiner of your actions. I don't want to oversimplify this, but the way you live, the decisions you make, are highly influenced by what you believe to be true. So if we have a lot of behavior that seems to be tripping us up and causing trouble, one aspect of that is step back and says, what do I believe to be true that's informing my behavior? Now, that's, that's, again, it's simplistic. So here's the instrument God has given us to transform our minds. First of all, you understand you all have a mind. Not just your brain. So the, the brain is the physical organ in your head. The mind is something that, that even supersedes that. I can't fully explain it. Um, that 
so I can't fully explain, so I'm not going to try in the moment. So we need to transform these beliefs we have. I would suggest to you, Scripture, God has spoken to us. He has given us his word. We need to live, eat, and breathe the Scriptures. God has given us his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Do you know that the the divine, eternal God lives inside of you to guide you, to teach you, to convict you, to encourage you, to advocate for you? This This is amazing that you have a mind that needs to be transformed into truth. You have the scriptures, God's word to you, and the spirit who guides you through them. We, we need to learn, I, I need to learn this, and I, I work on it all the time, but, but, but the idea of pursuing God in relationship, talking to him is that he talks to me as we open the scriptures, listen to the spirit, pray to him, listen. Then lastly, there's more, but these things. You have a mind, you have the scriptures, spirit of God, and this one equally important You have the people of God. When we get isolated, it's easy for Satan to say, hey, let me tell you some truth. Well, that sounds pretty reasonable. And if I live isolated away from the people of God, there's no one there to challenge me. There's no one there to say, Tony, Tony, let's talk about this. This isn't true, Tony. Let's let's kick it around here. That's the beauty of home Bible studies and being in a relationship where you, in women's Bible study, men's Bible study, Monday morning, where you get to talk to people about what Scripture says and the things you're pursuing. So here's what I want to do. Renew our minds. I want to walk through some categories. And um, I realize I've taken a lot of time here, and and I have a lot more, so I will... will... Thank you. (laughs) So um, I want you to think about your possessions. Okay? And I know in this room, some of you who have little go, yeah, he's going to talk to the people that have a lot. And guess what? I'm talking to all of us. What is it about our possessions? You know, Paul talks about multiple sins. He talks about multiple sins of the mouth, hatred and cursing and and slander and, and all these evil things we say to each other. Then he talks about multiple sins of sexuality. He lists them out. Often right in the middle is a short little thing. And greed, which is idolatry. And, and so our possessions, the things we get up in the morning, we go to work, we earn. What is our attitude toward? What does the world tell us about that? I'm, I'm going to give you things to think about. You have to go home and do it yourself if this is what God is convicting you of. I would suggest we have an overemphasized belief that it's mine and I'll give a little to God. As opposed to it's all God's and he's given it to me as a steward. And part of it is to enjoy it. 1 Timothy 6, 17, enjoy what God's given you. But equally is to share it. And, And often the world's way is, okay, sure, share it. But make sure you enjoy more than you share. Because after all, it is yours. Doesn't God want you to be happy? Doesn't God want you to have all these toys? Those of us who have minimal toys want more. So I need you to rethink 
talk to God about why, and everyone in this room at some level has more than they need. Everyone. Why did God give me more than I need? What does he want me to do with it? Um, th this, this plagues me. I'm serious, it plagues me. Because I don't want to get too much into to my, um, my odd thinking. But if I'm an instrument in God's hand for his glory, um, God, how, I spend an awful lot of time worrying about what I have and don't have. I look at my retirement account way too much as opposed to trusting him. So this one is first on my list because it's the one I'm working through the most. Did God bless you so you can get extra money so you can retire and play the rest of your life? I think that's unbiblical. But he certainly blessed you so you can be a blessing. So, next one, sexuality. Quickly, the scriptures teach us this. That God, Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 2 primarily, God brought together a man and a woman, made them one, that's marriage, and they produced children. The scripture takes marriage, sexuality, and children in their package deal. What's the devil done with that? Completely separated them as three, three distinct entities that you can fully enjoy a sexual life and not worry about marriage or children because we can solve the children problem. See, I can just live with my girlfriend. I don't need to marry her. It's always funny when people tell me, well, we don't need a piece of paper to show our love. We're married. And it's okay, so then you break up. Are you divorced now? Nobody who lived with their girlfriend or boyfriend and then breaks up calls themselves divorced. But they're rationalized that they were married. See, don't deceive yourself. That's Satan's way of thinking. So we need to rethink sexuality and its purpose in confines of marriage and children. Let me get into more controversial for a moment. And I'll get in trouble with this, and, and um, it's okay. 150 years ago, a man named Karl Marx came up with a system of economics that became full-blown in socialism to communism. And part of that economics was based upon a class-based theory. And that class-based theory is you have two groups of people. You have the, the and I never can say the word well, the, 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 Borgi, the, the, the Borgio, I can't even say it. Those people. The, the, the upper echelon of the wealthy that own the businesses, the capitalists. Then you have the proletariat, who are the workers. And he saw this as unjust. And so he believed in a system of revolution where the proletariat rises up and takes over the owners and takes away what they have and that creates a socialistic and ultimately communistic culture. So this is all new. We saw how this panned out in Russia, in China, in, in Cuba, South America. It didn't pan out well. Okay, that's, and I, I'm, I'm a novice at this, so, so I'm not here arguing one system of economics better than another. 
But history says it didn't pan out well. But that, that system, though, of we have the, the oppressors called the, the owners of businesses, and all the workers are the oppressed. You hear me? That has a new expression today. It's called critical race theory. And it is the idea of those with less melanin in their skins are the oppressors, and those with more melanin in their skins are the oppressed. And by definition, the oppressed must rise up to take over the oppressors. So critical race theory is not, is not biblical justice. Critical race theory is not an expression of the civil rights movement of the 60s. It is Marxism taken from class struggle to race struggle. And it's filled with lies that's not biblical that Christians are buying into because we're not thinking enough about it. We're not thinking enough about it. I want you to listen to something here. Who said this? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Who said that? And it is an unbelievable truth that changed our world. Critical race theory says no. We judge by the color of skin because you're the oppressor, specifically if you're a male. So I, I don't like to get terribly political in these sermons. I really don't. But this is a worldview that is going from our colleges where it's been for 50 years into our schools right down into kindergarten and first grade where little kids who are white are being told they're oppressors and by definition racists. And folks, this, just, this isn't true. Can people, white people, be racist? Yes. The world has tons of examples of it. Can some of us have issues we need to deal with where we think we're superior to another race? Yes. And that's how we, we deal with biblically, understand what the body of Christ is, that God has saved people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group, and all colors and creeds, and we are one. And no one gets to say I'm better than another. But that's not critical race theory. So, folks, we need to raise our, our level of understanding and use our minds to evaluate things and approach it with biblical grace and kindness and don't become the jerks we're accused of being. So, so another example that's just a little different, this whole woke cancel culture. We need to think through this. We need to put our minds to work and talk to God about it, read his word, ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, talk to one another about this. Recently, a school in New Jersey, I just read about it yesterday, they decided to get rid of all names of holidays. Because you see, people are being offended by the names of the holidays. So now, in the school calendar, it simply says day off. Doesn't say Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't say, doesn't say Hanukkah, doesn't say Christmas, doesn't say Thanksgiving, doesn't say, it just says day off. And here's what a lady named Doreen Roche, I, I don't know her, this is what the article said. She's one of the board members of the school board in New Jersey that did this. She said this, if we don't have anything on the calendar, any name on the calendar, we don't have to have anyone with hurt feelings and anything like that. So now stop with me now. So you've you got to think through this, a worldview. How do you live your life? So first of all, if you, if you live out, if you act out in a way that is offensive to somebody because you are offensive, it's on you if you're a jerk. You with me? If you're a jerk, you're, it's on you. How I respond to it's on me. 
See, what this is saying is, this whole woke and cancel culture, is my offense makes you the bad person. You need to worry about whether I'm offended. You need to live your life not to offend me. And now, so again, parents. I remember my daughter. I raised boys and then I became the stepdad of one 11-year-old girl. And um, well, way better behaved than all my boys. I had, I had 15 teenage foster boys over a four-year period. I raised two sons of my own, adopted one of my foster kids. My one daughter better behaved than all of them, but more drama than all of them put together. <laughs> um, and so, um, and, and she's beautiful. She turns 26 next month, and we have a great relationship, but... I remember her saying to me, you made me angry. And I said, no, I didn't. I can't make you angry. You chose to be angry. I might be a jerk. I may have to deal and apologize for my actions. But you own your own emotions. Don't blame them on me. Do you want to live in a world where you have to own everyone's emotions and their response to you? But that's where the world's going in many ways. So we have to put our minds to work. How do we stop that? How do we live a life different? How do we teach our children different, our grandchildren different? Again, we have to come back to Christ-likeness and mercy and grace and, and, and gentleness and all this as we respond to people. But folks, our world is going to hell in metaphorical and, and real, real. And I think for a while I've kind of buried my head in the sand thinking, oh, it's, it's not really that bad. And it is. So if we're God's instruments, if we're the weapons in his hands, we use these bodies to be used by him to serve people. Allow the Spirit of God through the Scriptures and one another renew our minds to truth. Then we enter into this world that will hate us, but we bring a truth to it. Are you with me on this? Now, we're going to follow Paul's agenda because Paul now takes these two principles of present your body as a living sacrifice and renew your mind, and he's going to apply, apply it to multiple subjects that are affecting the Roman church. So we will deal with what he says, and then we'll do some exercises and what is different in our world today, possibly. So that's where we're going. That's why I'm so excited to be in chapter 12. Um, remember this, in our response, Paul and Peter both say, when you correct someone who opposes you, do it with respect and gentleness. That's Christ. But truth sometimes has results that hurts. So, Father, thank you for today. And Lord, to the degree that I represented your word true, burn it into our hearts and minds. Lord, if I, I did something wrong there, Lord, have your spirit show people in this room. But most of all, God, remind us of who we are as your children, that you've pulled us into a relationship, that we walk with you and we talk with you. And give us a great, great desire to live a life that honors and pleases our amazing God. All these things we do through the Holy Spirit because Jesus died for us. In his name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Mm -hmm. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday, and we will see you next week.